We are continuing our series called Christmas Road Trip. How many of you have been enjoying this so far? Come on, help me out. Have you enjoying so far? But also tuning in with us is all of our friends at Valley of Grace. So come on, help me welcome all of the men at Valley of Grace. Come on, New Life, do better for them. Come on. Hey, Valley of Grace, we're proud of you. We're praying for you. And we want to wish you a merry, merry Christmas, guys. So thank you for tuning in and being a part of our New Life family uh, this Christmas. And so, uh, so far, our Christmas road trip, uh, in week one, we talked about a close call to collision. Uh, many travelers traveling in Christmas time was one of the most traveled times of the year, and we talked about close calls to collision, where Joseph had a close call to collision, where God was doing this amazing thing, where Mary was conceived with child by the Holy Spirit. He finds out his betrothed, engaged wife is pregnant, and he goes, you know, time out. I think I'm just going to call it quits. I'm going to divorce her quietly, and had that happened, there was, it would have kind of broken God's plan for this whole thing, but, but God appeared to Joseph in a dream, and, and he, he married Mary, and the Savior was born. The story, you know it very well. Then last week, uh, we talked about the journey of the Magi. Now, the wise men came, and they brought gifts, and that there are certain responses that now we have to Jesus as king, because certainly King Herod has his response the Jewish uh, leaders in the elite of the religious world had their response, but the response of the Magi was simply that of worship, and we got to partake in that this morning already. Well, today, the Christmas road trip that we're going to be looking at is now the return trip to Nazareth. So let's catch up with where we are in the Christmas story so far. We obviously, Mary has been found to be pregnant with child, and, and it is the Messiah. She's, she's the Virgin Mary, conceived in child by the Holy Spirit, and he's, he's going to be Emmanuel, God with us. You're going to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves. He's going to be the Savior of the world. And, uh, and so they, because of a census being done in the Roman world at the time, uh, they had to return to their ancestral home. And David, being in the, uh, Joseph being in the line of David, he returns to the city of Bethlehem. And when they return to Bethlehem, this is where Jesus is born. You know the story, the baby's lying in the manger. He's born in Bethlehem. And then uh, a couple years later, these magi, these wise men, they come from the east. They visit King Herod and they say, hey, King Herod, we saw the star in the sky and we come to worship because we hear that there is a king that has been born. He will be king of the Jews. Obviously, Herod took great issue with this because, one, the star in the sky first First, the star in the sky represented Caesar Augustus's deity, and King Herod was called king of the Jews because he had Jewish uh, ancestral kind of connection, although the Jews never considered him king. Uh, he was kosher in diet, but he was not kosher in his character. And, uh, and so uh, King Herod uh, was a madman, crazy madman. He says, hey, I tell you what, when you find this savior, this, when you find this baby, will you report back to me so I may go worship him too? And so the, the wise men, they, they, they run off, and the star appears, they find the child, and they worship him. God visits the Magi in a dream and warn him, you need not go back to King Herod. He has, he has bad intentions. So they, they escape another route. When King Herod finds out that the Magi have dodged him, 
his, his anger boils in his blood, and he decides that he is going to have every young boy, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem and in the surrounding area put to death in accordance with the time the Magi had told him, because there will be no other king than King Herod in his mind. King Herod was such a madman that he even killed three of his own sons and one of his own wives just because he wanted people to know that he was in control and you don't cross me. So, he, so this major slaughter is about to take place in the area of young children. But, uh, uh, but the Lord speaks to Joseph, and he tells him to escape to Egypt. And now they have escaped to Egypt, and, and Jesus escapes this slaughter. But now we, we're, we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. Here's what it says. It says, after Herod died. So Herod passes away, and he, he, he dies a pretty gruesome death. Uh, uh, scholars believe he had some type of kidney failure, but also gangrene of his parts of his private area. And so after Herod died, a very unfortunate death, an angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, hey, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So Herod is dead. And uh, so, uh, verse 21, so he got up, he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and rightly so. Having been warned in a dream, then Joseph and Mary, with with, uh, their young child Jesus, they withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So they are on their way back to Israel from Egypt, and then they hear that madman King Herod is now King Herod II, his son Archelaus. Archelaus was also quite a madman. He was um, an evil, wicked man, which is maybe, I'm just guessing, maybe is the reason why King Herod actually let Archelaus live uh, because King Herod was known for uh, murdering his own sons. Caesar Augustus himself said it's better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. But here's Archelaus. He survives maybe because King Herod saw a little bit of himself in Archelaus. Archelaus is king. Warning signs going off for Joseph and Mary. This, this might not be a good situation. Sure enough, they escape. What's interesting is, is before King Herod's unfortunate death, um, fortunate or unfortunate, depending on what side you're on. Um, King Herod had a Roman Aquila installed above the Jewish temple at the time. The Roman Aquila was a golden eagle that the emperor Augustus would typically carry a, 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 a golden eagle on a stick. And the golden eagle was a sign of imperial reign, of imperial power, and it was, the, it was the symbol of the Roman Empire. And so before King Herod dies, he has this golden eagle installed above the temple in Jerusalem. This is obviously uh, disrespectful to the Jews of the time and, and the Lord. And, 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 but the message he was trying to send to them it, it was that you have your God, but don't forget Rome is in control. You may have your God, but we, you only get to worship your God because we let you, and we also are more powerful, because if we weren't more powerful, then, then where's your God? And, and, and basically, 
uh, what consequences are we suffering because we have defiled your place of worship? And so they affixed the aquila above the temple. Well, it did, as, as you can imagine, if, if somebody were to make that kind of stance, political, religious stance against your faith, you might have a response too. Well, there were two teachers and 40 of those teachers' youth. So essentially, the youth pastor and his teenagers get together, and they come up with a plan. And these two teachers and 40 youth, they climb the temple, and they chop down this Roman aquila with axes. And uh, as you can imagine, that things are about to uh, escalate quickly, because you don't cross Herod. Now, Herod's like practically on his deathbed. He's about to die, and, uh, and, and, and so he gives an order that these two teachers and 40 men are to be found and they are to be killed. And that is exactly what happens. These two teachers and the youth group are put to death for chopping down the Roman uh, symbol of Roman Empire off of the temple. And then Herod dies. And in his place, he wills that his son Archelaus take over the throne. So Archelaus, he puts on a white robe, he, he ascends to the throne, and his plan is to promote himself as a peaceful ruler, and he does so with the promise that he will lower the taxes that his father put on the people. Because if you remember, King Herod was known as a master builder. He, he, was, he even helped finish the second temple and he did so, and he funded all of his projects by heavy taxation on the people. So Archelaus comes along with a promise, I'm going to reduce taxes on the people, and he has this, he's given this perception that he will be a peaceful leader. Well, the, the, the people had this idea that, that hey, he might be open to some ideas then. So they began to, to bring issue to Archelaus, of these two teachers and 40 youth that were killed by his father's order. They even began to, plan, began to petition Archelaus that the men who carried out King Herod's order, they need dealt with and they need to be punished. Well, Archelaus, he, he wanted them to table this issue until he was sworn in by Caesar. He wasn't even officially king by Caesar's word yet, but it was willed to him by his father. He says, can we just wait until I go to Rome and I come back, I, I go see Caesar, I come back, and then we'll deal with this. Well, well the people were, so, were still in mourning over the deaths of their family and friends, that there were men in the temple that were mourning the loss of these two teachers and 40 youth, and they were crying so loud that they could be heard out on the streets and this was bothersome to Archelaus because he was afraid that they were going to, to kind of get a gathering and they were going to build momentum in their cry against this new established king. So he sends one of his generals and some other people to the temple to, to, to threaten them and tell them to stop crying. Well, upon their arrival, these mourners in the temple stone Archelaus's people. Several of them die. And now the situation is escalating again. Now Archelaus shows his hand. that He's not the peaceful leader he was pretending to be. He's actually a madman like his father. All of this is happening during the time of Passover, which is a great 
a Jewish festival. It's that Passover is actually the, the, the feast by, and during the, when Jesus would be crucified and risen again 33 years later, 30-ish years later. But at this Passover, people travel from all around the area, all around the world to come gather for Passover. And during Passover, this episode is taking place. And Archelaus, then in his anger, he calls in an entire army into the city and has over 3,000 Jewish people killed. And then he makes a declaration that Passover is canceled. So he cancels Passover 3,000 people were killed that day at the hand of Archelaus because there were people rising against the powers that be of that day. And actually, uh, Archelaus almost got in a little bit of trouble for this because he wasn't sworn in yet by Caesar. So he went and appeared before Caesar and was questioned about his decision in the slaughter of 3,000 people. And, uh, and actually, they, they came and, and, and they showed that, well, the throne was willed to him from King Herod. And they said, oh, it's okay then. And everybody went on their way. So rightfully so, when Joseph and Mary hear that Archelaus is in charge, they were gripped with fear. And the Lord said, actually, I want you to escape to the outer parts. Go to Galilee in a city of Nazareth. But, what, but watch what, the, what Matthew, the writer, he says here. In Matthew 2.23, he says, So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he, being Jesus, that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. A Nazarene. So all throughout Matthew so far, we have read where time and time again, Matthew was writing, and it was fulfilled what the prophet said. And basically, Matthew is he's writing for us this account to prove to us the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is the Messiah. And all throughout the book of Matthew, we see time and time again prophecy being fulfilled that was spoken hundreds and hundreds of years prior in the book of Isaiah, in in the prophets of the Old Testament. And then, even then, if you look through Matthew, Matthew will then even quote what the prophet said from the verse in the Old Testament that it was written from, except this one, except this one. Matthew says, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. But then he doesn't cite his source. And there's a reason for that. Because actually, the Old Testament never ever prophesied that Jesus would be a Nazarene. That Nazareth is never actually mentioned at all in the Old Testament. So how does Matthew come to this conclusion that Jesus is that Jesus is from Nazareth. And for the sake of this message, we're just going to continue to say, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus the Nazarene. The Old Testament never mentions Nazareth, never mentions that the Messiah would be a Nazarene. So how did he come to this conclusion? Well, for, well I mean, just listen to what Nathaniel says about Nazareth in John Chapter 1, it says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now watch what Nathanael's response is. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Indiana? (laughs) Isn't that where that team, the Colts, plays? Aren't the Colts inventing historical new ways to lose football games <laughs> against the Vikings? Isn't Indiana blowing 33-point leads 
I'm so sorry, I see a Colts jacket right there. He came to the temple in mourning. This is what they said of Nazareth. Whoa, 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 time out. You mean the long-awaited-for Messiah that is promised to break us free from oppression that, our, that generations of our granddads have waited for this Messiah. You're saying you found him in Nazareth? <laughs> you got the wrong guy. Because can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, watch what it says in Isaiah 49.7. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel. This is speaking of the coming Messiah, Jesus. To him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, or in other words, hated by the nation. So we're going to make the connection here in a moment. But the word Nazareth is supposed to be the Greek form of the Hebrew word nestor, which means sprout or shoot or root. So, so keep this in mind, that Nazareth is supposed to be the Greek word of the Hebrew word nestor, which means a sprout, a shoot, or a root. And, and again, watch what Isaiah prophesies hundreds of years prior in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and his roots, a branch, will bear fruit. Capital letter B. So that tells us it is a person, place, or thing, right? English people. And we know that this branch that Isaiah is speaking of is actually a person, and his name is Jesus. And a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Okay, next question, who's Jesse? Jesse is the father of King David. And the Messiah is prophesied to come in the family line of David. So in the family line of David, a sprout, a shoot, a root is about to sprout up from the ground. This branch will bear fruit, and this branch is King Jesus. Nazareth never mentioned, but now I think you're beginning to see how the connections can be made. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, we know that the Messiah is going to be despised and hated. Well, people of Nazareth are despised, and they are hated. And a shoot will come up from the stump of of Jesse, a branch will bear fruit. Well, Nazareth is a word that literally means shoot, sprout, or root. And then in Isaiah 53, here's also what it says. It says, who has believed our message to whom, and, and, and to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. Watch what it says about the Messiah. He had no beauty or majesty, to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and held in low esteem. So this connection that Matthew made from the Old Testament prophets and why Jesus was, the net, was from Nazareth, he was Nestor, a root or shoot. It is prophesied that the Messiah would be the, a new shoot, a new root, a new growth from the stump of Jesse, and that he would have no beauty, he would have no majesty to attract us to him. In other words, he had an undesirable appearance, and he would be uh, despised, and he would be rejected. And then Matthew, who knows the scriptures well, he knows the prophecies, he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa wait. That's a Nazarene. 
that's a that's a that's an Indianapolis Colts player. Right there. And because Jesus was from Nazareth, they began to realize this is fulfilling what the Lord said. What was prophesied. He would be a nobody. He wouldn't be desirable. But he's the shoot that Isaiah speaks of. And this connection was made. Well, from this scripture in Isaiah, I want to draw out three things for us when we talk about Jesus the Nazarene. And the first is that Jesus the Nazarene is not an attraction. Jesus the Nazarene is not an attraction. Jesus the Nazarene, is, it says that he is not, in other words, I would say that Jesus the Nazarene is not a, a product to sell. He is not a show to be made of. Following this Jesus, the Nazarene, it won't always be popular. It's not always going to be popular. It's not always going to be cool. Following Jesus, the Nazarene, isn't always going to be fun. It won't always fit in the latest trends of this world. It said he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Kind of like this ugly Christmas sweater. Not attractive, not desirable, certainly not fashionable. But yet Jesus the Nazarene is not a fashion. He's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the Son of God, he's the Redeemer, he's Emmanuel, God with us, he's the shepherd, in him is light in life, the one that takes us from darkness to light, from despair to life, from the miry clay to the rock. His message won't make you cool to the culture, but it will save you from your sin. Jesus, the Nazarene. Too many times... We have tried to trade Jesus the Nazarene for a Jesus in the magazine. One that is hip and cool and one that fits in. One that is always relevant and one that will, will never make you feel wrong. He's Jesus the Nazarene. Not always cool, not always fashionable, not always easy. And his message was simple. His message was, how about you pick up your cross and you follow me. And we know what happened when Jesus carried his cross. It led to his ultimate slaughter. You see, because Jesus wasn't trying to fix me when he found me. He was actually just trying to kill me. Over 120 times in the book of Romans, it says that, that God's on a mission. You've got to die. Every day, you've got you to die. You've got to die. You've got to die to this flesh so you can live in him. This isn't, this isn't a magazine-type message. This is a Jesus of Nazarene message. He knows what it is to be out and made fun of and hated and unattractive. There's nothing about him that should have attracted him. He could have walked the streets of the world that day and never been recognized because he was just a Nazarene. Nothing flashy, nothing cool. No smoke, lights, and mirrors. No tweetable messages. It was just Jesus the Nazarene not Jesus of the magazine, not doctored up, not made cool. His message won't make you cool to the culture, but it will save you from your sin. And that's the mission that he was on. You see, this thing we call church, this isn't a trend for me. This is not a trend to me. This is sacred. 
When we gather on Sunday mornings, this is not a concert. This is adoration and worship to our God that saved me from my sin. And I know you don't know all the intricate details of my story, and I don't know all the intricate details of your story, but when he found me, I was broken. I was in despair, and I was lonely. I didn't deserve his grace. I didn't deserve his hand of mercy. And how dare I try to make that fashionable and cool. No, it's a life I want to emulate. I want to live the best life now, today, because of his rescue. We believe in excellence. We believe in trying to relate the gospel and message to people, but we will never relegate this to a show because Jesus the Nazarene is not an attraction. We're not here to make money. We're not here to, to we're, but we are here to make a difference. Jesus the Nazarene. He's the Jesus of the Christmas story. Attractional-based Christianity will always struggle to make real disciples of Jesus. When it gets hard or when it gets boring, that's when our attractional things fade out and it takes true commitment to, of the, the one of, the, the, of Nazareth that we will be willing to pick up our cross and do hard things with him. And let me tell you, New Life, I stand here as a pastor of a church that I am so proud of to know 65 years old, New Life Church, that means that there have been faithful people that have gone through struggle, they've gone through hard times, they've remained together, they gave generously when there didn't seem to be enough in the bank, they gave up their time even when they had busy weekends, and they did it because they knew Jesus of Nazareth. They knew it wasn't a trend for them. It wasn't just a season of life. We're gonna do the church thing for a little bit, no, they said, we're going to give our lives to this Jesus of Nazareth. There's a big difference. So we see Jesus the Nazarene is not an attraction. And number two, Jesus of Nazarene, he is familiar with pain. Because he's from Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good be made of a Galloway? Can anything good be made of your family? Can anything be good be made of the son or daughter of so-and-so? Can anything good come from that side of town? Can anything good come from that nationality or race? Can anything good come from a high school dropout? Can anything good come from someone with a sixth grade education? Can anything good come from Nazareth? How about the savior of the world? You see, he is familiar with our pain. He was despised, it said. He was rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. In Hebrews 4.15, it says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So then let us approach God's throne with grace and confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You don't have a God that's so high up there and high and mighty looking down on you. He's Mr. Goody Two-Shoe. I can't believe you. 
You have a God that empathizes with your pain. He empathizes with your struggle, not, be, not because he had, was humbled to a man and humbled to a cross. He has experienced every kind of pain, every kind of sorrow, and overcame it with you in mind. You see, I will never be able to live a perfect life. I will continue to make mistakes, but I strive to be more like him. But he came. He was born of a virgin. And then he, he faced pain, and he faced struggle, and he faced temptation. But he didn't fall like I fell. And then he died a death that I was supposed to. And in doing so, he overcame sin as the perfect sacrifice and then gave me liberty from my sin. Jesus the Nazarene, he is familiar with pain. Some people say, I can't go to church because you don't know what I've done. Well, then you don't know what our Savior has done in order to ensure that you get a new chance and a new life. He is the sprout. He is the, the, the evidence of that there is something new at the base of the stump that appeared to be dead. Jesus, the Nazarene, is familiar with pain. For so many, Christmas becomes a painful season for them. I don't know, sometimes it's the memories that are connected to it or, or the memories of their life, or maybe it's because they're coming up on the end of the year and it's just been one of those years. But this Christmas, you can call upon Jesus, the Nazarene, who is familiar with pain, and he has empathy towards you. Unfortunately, there are people that are unfamiliar with Jesus the Nazarene, and they look at his church and they say, they would judge me for my struggle. They would cast, they would, they would look down upon me if they knew my true story. And, and if you've ever thought that, then I, 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 will you forgive the Lord's church for that? Because we serve Jesus the Nazarene. He has empathy and sorrow for the pain that you've been through, the struggle you've been in, and we wanna be a reflection of that. We wanna be a place where you can now have an encounter with his presence and his power, where you can experience forgiveness and healing and deliverance and ultimately a brand new life in him. Jesus, the Nazarene, he's familiar with pain. And so if you experience pain, you can find familiarity with the Prince of Peace and get peace for your pain this Christmas. He's not put off by your pain or your struggle. He's familiar with it. He has empathy for you. He's grace for you. Victory for you. So Jesus the Nazarene, he's not an attraction. Jesus the Nazarene, he's familiar with pain. And number three, Jesus the Nazarene is a sprout that brought new life. He's the sprout that brought new life. The stump looked dead, the stump of Jesse. And yet there was this sprout at the base of the stump that began to spring up. A stump is a sign of something that failed, something that had to be cut down, something that was removed, something that maybe once was fruitful but now isn't. A stump is a constant reminder that it's not what it used to be. But Jesus is alive. Jesus is growing. He's making a new way. And where you thought it was over at the stump of your life, 
where somebody came in on you and cut you down, there is something sprouting at the base. There is a new beginning, beginning to grow. Jesus the Nazarene, the sprout that brought new life. The whole world, I can imagine, at the birth of Jesus, saw a glimmer of hope. And at the base of what appeared to be dead, something was happening. Today in this place, at the stump, whatever it is that cut you down, made you look like a failure, there's a little green leaf sprouting at the base. And in it is life. And in it is freedom. And in it is your healing. In it is a brand new beginning. Jesus, the Nazarene. Isaiah continues in verse 4 of chapter 53, and he says, Surely he took our pain, and he bore our suffering, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, Jesus was born in order to die. He was born knowing he was on a mission that his hands would be pierced, his side would be split, and in doing so, he would take upon himself the punishment you and I deserved and give us peace. Years ago, I was invited to speak at the Secular Student Alliance at a high school in Indianapolis, Indiana. I didn't know what I was walking into. It was a club for agnostics, atheists, and skeptics. And as I showed up to the high school that day and greeted by members of their, of their club, uh, they said, are you Father Galloway? I was like, just call me Devin, man. Like, I, I realized that they had very little understanding. I'm like, just call me Devin. And uh, they walked me to a classroom in the high school on the south side of Indianapolis. When I walk in, the room is packed wall to wall, standing room only, full of students, ready to see a fight, good versus evil, atheist versus pastor. And basically, I just got up there I gave them a two-minute gospel presentation of why I believe Jesus is king. And then I just said, what questions do you have? And I began to field questions. And what was supposed to be a 45-minute presentation, we were there for over an hour and a half as I just took question by question by question, answering questions from these young people that made a claim to be atheist or agnostic or skeptic, but yet didn't have basic fundamental understanding of who Jesus was. To be to the point, there was this one particular kid, he was sitting about right here where Jacob is. And, uh, and I could see him stirring. I could see he was getting frustrated. And finally, his hand shot up in the air, and I knew it was coming. And I almost was a little, a little nervous about what this kid was about to say, like he, he might have something on me. He shoots his hand up in the air, and I say, I, say, I say, yeah, do you have a question? He goes, yes! He was just disgusted. I have a question! Like, well, what is it? He's like, I just don't get it. I don't get any of it. He says, you mean to tell me that God knows everything, right? I said, well, for the sake of this argument, yes, I believe God, he knows everything. 
Well, then he should have known. Okay, I'll take the bait. Known what? He should have known that we would have killed him if he came. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he knows everything, right? Yes. Well, then why was he so stupid in coming here knowing that he would have been killed? And I was like, you don't know. You don't know. He goes, no, what? I said, you don't know. He did know. The whole reason why he came and was born that Christmas is because he knew that one day he would die. He knew how bad of a death he was going to die. And he knew he had to die. And actually, Scripture says no one takes his life, but he laid it down. He chose to come. He didn't have to. He chose to die. He didn't have to. But he did it in order to have you. He died to take the punishment of every failure you've had, every mistake you've made, and then freely gives you the grace to be forgiven of it. And all you have to do is believe in him. He doesn't want you to work for it. Just put your faith in him and follow him the rest of your life. He'll forgive the rest and give you eternal life in heaven. He came because he knew he had to die. The room was silent. And I just said, and I wonder how many in this room have come to a conclusion about God and you didn't know that. Please, please, learn a Keep on this journey you guys are on, I said. Keep on this journey. You need to know more because your eternity is on the line. Your life is on the line. Jesus of Nazareth is a sprout that brought new life. But people stand on the stump of what is dead and they think that's their destination. But today you can have that brand new chance too. In Jesus the sprout, the Nazarene, the king of kings and lord of lords, the baby that was born in order to be a man that would die to set you free. So here's what I want you to know today is that no matter where you come from, no matter what has been said to you, no matter what mistakes you have made, the Lord provides healing and a home for you. He provides healing in a home. By his wounds, we are healed. Well, you don't know where I'm from. Are you from Nazareth, though? Because nothing good was supposed to come from there. You don't know what people have said about me. Really? Because Nazarenes, like, no one said anything good about them. You don't understand the racism and discrimination I faced. I'm like, I, I empathize with that, but, like, Jesus is from Nazareth, dude. He understands your pain. He's not denying it. He recognizes your pain is real. He's just saying, but I'll still provide healing and a home for you. Would you stand to your feet today? I believe there's power in the name of Jesus and there's healing in the room today. It is for you. It is for your family. It's for right now. Jesus of Nazareth. Not something to be attracted to, but something to be surrendered to. We're going to sing one last song here. And let's lift high the name of Jesus today. 
Jesus, the Nazarene. Let's surrender ourselves to him. Let's maybe pick up our own cross and follow him. No matter where it leads, may it lead to surrender to him today. So with the grace that he has given you in mind, can we just offer up a spirit of worship in this place to the name above all names, Jesus the Nazarene. Let's lift it up to him.